welcome into Buccaneers Insider Live presented by Miller Lite, Casey Phillips, and Scott Smith here. And as always, we'll be taking your questions. So if you're not already watching on Facebook, head on over there and you can leave a comment under the live video on the Buccaneers Facebook page. And as always, we also love hearing where you're watching from. So if you have a question, make sure you put that in there as well. So as we give people a chance uh, to start putting their questions in, I know you were at the owners meetings in Arizona this week. Um, there's always interesting stuff that comes out of there, not only just for the Bucks specifically, but the league overall, they, that's when they talk about rule changes mm -hmm. and, and proposals. So uh, on, on that side first, before we get to the Buccaneers part, what were some of the things you learned or, or heard about of some of the new rules and proposals yeah. they put forward? One rule really took over the entire focus of the entire meeting um, in terms of rule changes, and that was the expansion of replayable, reviewable plays to include pass interference and, crucially, pass interferences that potential pass interference that was not called. And to me, the biggest takeaway I got from that was that the coaches really, really wanted this. And I think their influence had a lot to do with it. Going into the meetings, I think the general feeling was this was kind of iffy to pass because you need 24 of 32 teams to agree. And in the end, 31 of them did. Only Cincinnati, whose Mike Brown has long been against replay, uh, abs or voted against it. So to get that sweeping passing and, and really and impressively the part about adding the calls that weren't called, which is, you know, what this all stems from was that non-call in the NFC Championship right. game, right? And the proposals as were on paper as the teams went into the meeting would not have addressed that because that play was not called and the proposals just said be allowed to be reviewed plays where a flag was thrown. And amazingly, the coaches had a meeting of their own, and they came out of it saying they were unanimous, which is amazing to me. 32 of 32 coaches wanted to be able to review re uh, pass interference calls, which yeah, I find incredible. surprising. I would think there would be some guys who'd be against it. You know, because in w for one thing, it makes their job harder on game day. Just another detail that they have to be on top of. But I think that had a lot of influence, and they even rewrote a new proposal that included the allowing you to challenge non-calls. And in the end, it was it was six B or six C. In the end, that's the one that passed. I find that amazing. I really think the coaches had a lot to do with it. That, yeah, that's a really interesting point. And then in terms of uh, the, on the Bucks front, you know, you get to hear from uh, Jason Light, you get to hear from mm -hmm. Bruce Arians, you get to hear from a lot of different people. So, what insight, if any, did you feel like you got? from here, listening to them and any news that has come out of that? Well, if you haven't already watched it, you should probably go watch the whole um, hour long because we were there with the camera and we filmed Bruce Arian sitting at the table at the coach's breakfast and he spoke for about 50, 53 minutes. And you know, when you're, you're talking for that long, you're gonna hit pretty much every position plus other topics on the team. So he spoke about everything, but probably some of the key takeaways for me, um, he's really, really high on Chris Godwin. And you know how guys are always on the show asking us if he's going to work in the slot or not? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, he is. Sounds like he's going to work <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> they might throw him in at quarterback well, right. and at safety. And what, it sounded well, like yeah. he's going to be out there forever. Yeah, because Bruce used the phrase, he might never come off the right. field. Right. So that's what I was thinking. You know, hey, why not? Throw him everywhere. Hey, I, was just, <laughs> I tweeted out, I'm like, these fantasy football owners are going to go crazy. Because he's the kind of player that you think if you if you're the kind of fancy football player who like studies and prepares you're like this is the guy I can sneak through in like the fifth round or something because his first two years were good but they weren't superstar good right they his second one got a lot better than his first one especially in terms of scoring touchdowns and it was because he had more opportunities well now this guy is going to have all the opportunities so the, by saying he's never coming off the field he's uh, Bruce is saying he's going to probably he'll be your starter opposite Mike Evans in a two receiver set but then a lot of times when you bring in a third receiver like uh, Brashad Perriman they'll move Chris into the slot and he thinks he's going to be outstanding in the slot and as everybody's been reporting ever since Bruce got here 
they did the same thing with Larry Fitzgerald a few years back. And, and he said Larry Fitzgerald was actually a little bit reluctant to do it at first. And, uh, and it worked out incredibly to the tune of like three or 400 catches in the last few years. Um, and he, you know, everybody's connecting the dots there with Chris Godwin. And sure enough, that's, that's going to happen. And so, uh, you know, you lose Adam, ha Adam Humphreys and you trade Deshaun Jackson and you start thinking, man, maybe that incredible depth, which was really the strength of this team among pass catchers, has taken a hit. But then you just think Chris Godwin's going to get a lot more playing time. Brashad Perryman, they're really high on him. They like what he did in the second half of last year. Um, they said people uh, – Bruce said other teams, GMs and coaches have said to him, man, that was a good get. That was a really good get for you guys because they think he's – you know, he's a former first-round pick who had injury problems, but it's really fast. And they said this is a guy ready to bounce back. So right. now you got that added to the mix. And, you know, you hopefully have a healthier um, – you, you Cam Brate. You have a mm -hmm. healthier Cam Brate, and you got O.J. Howard coming back, and you're still far from – you still have an incredible array of pass catchers. Right. Yeah, that's huge. Uh, Kevin has a couple good questions. First one, he said, uh, how effective were we in free agency filling gaps as far as depth? Yeah, pretty good, and, and, and you know, they were talking about that. Both Bruce and, and Jason Light talked about that at uh, the meetings, and they really felt good about what they did. Um, you know, most of the, except for the punter, most of the, or all of the contracts were one year, so a lot of them can be sort of prove-it deals, and maybe those guys will get another big deal here or somewhere else in the next year. But, you know, they did a lot. I asked Jason Light, does that make you feel even a little bit better about your position going into the draft? Because, uh, you know, you might not be quite so tied to a specific need. And, and he said, yeah, they're still going to take the best player for the team and, and not be tied by need anyway. But, um, yeah, it did make it better. And, you know, you're talking about a guy like uh, like Shaq Barrett, who helps you with that rotation. Earl Watford could challenge for the starting right guard spot. You got a lot, and you obviously improved your linebacker depth quite a bit, which was a concern going in. And, and Bruce said, um, you know, there, there could be additions to that, and there's a lot of nice linebackers in the draft. He says, if not, I'm ready to roll with what we got. And you got also got a bit of a better feel for what we're going to call linebackers and who is considered starters because when he said I'll roll with those four he was referring to Levante and Dayon Buchanan as your inside linebackers right. which sounds weird for Levante but it's not that dissimilar of a role from what he's done in a 4-3 before and then your outside linebackers starting are Carl Nassib and JPP who we used to call defensive ends mm -hmm. so they're pass rushers but you know there might be they might be asked to drop into coverage a little bit probably more Carl than JPP right and JPP will be playing over guards a lot more he did that some last year too but as a as a um as an end if he's playing end in the f he could be linebacker but if he's playing guards more often and bruce said he's going to do that more often and he thinks he's really going to like it right yeah that's a great point uh kevin second question if we trade down in the draft what teams are we most likely to trade with yeah that's a great question and uh it's a, it's a little bit unfortunate for us, I think that Jacksonville signed Nick Foles because yeah. a five to seven deal is a perfect type of deal. And and you could see Jacksonville making that deal if they're going after, after a quarterback because they would want to leapfrog the Giants at six um, because that's the team. The first team in the in the order that really looks like it might draft a quarterback is the Giants. The, the Raiders maybe, but probably the Giants. And if the Jaguars felt like they had to jump the Giants, you can make a deal from five to seven pretty easily. In fact, we did that exact thing with the Jaguars seven years ago and got a high fourth-round pick out of it. Uh, in 1994, there was a trade from five down to seven. I think it was the Rams and uh, uh, Rams and Colts. And 
the team trading down got a third round pick out of it. And so that's a nice little deal. It's not that hard to consummate because the other teams you'd be probably seeing most likely to trade up because the most likely reason to trade up is to get one of the quarterbacks um, are a little farther in the 10 to 15 range. Like I think the Dolphins are 15. Um, there's a couple other teams in there that might want a quarterback. And those deals are harder to swing because a move from 5 to 15 – is is a is big on that draft value chart. Yeah. It's a lot of points, and so you can't get it done with just a second round pick or something. Right. Like you saw our dra- trade last year from seven to twelve gained two second round picks, mm-hmm. which is a lot of draft capital. So you may and not every team has two second round picks to trade like the Bills did. So it may be the kind of deal where you get a first round pick next year, mm-hmm. which personally I think would be great. That would be great. But you also have to weigh in there: is it worth it to move from five to fifteen if you're passing on maybe a really good pass rusher who mm-hmm. won't be there at fifteen? So, um, I, you know, the Dolphins strike me as an answer to the question. The Giants, even though they're only one pick behind us, it seems weird that a team wouldn't trade one pick up to get a quarterback with a team they know is not it, taking quarterback. Right. But the point is to not let another team another jump team ahead. Trade. And yeah. you saw the, the Bears do that with San Francisco to get Mitch Trubisky. They traded from three to two just a few years ago and right. gave up some good assets. So it could happen. That's interesting, yeah. And uh, I saw that Brad <coughs> asked, uh, was there any insight at the owners' meetings on what position the Bucks are going to target at five? So if they don't trade down and stay there. Was there anything said um, by coach or by anyone that would give you an idea of what position in particular they might be looking at? If they had said it, would you believe it? Nope. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, no. They or maybe that's why we should believe it. It's like reverse, right, reverse right, psychology. Right. Well, I mean, as to throw an example out there, I just saw a report that um, the Bucks are meeting with Juwan Taylor, the, the offensive tackle from Florida, right? And you get 30 pre-draft meetings, and you meet with a lot of guys, and some of it – now, this wouldn't be the case with him, but sometimes you meet with guys you might, you're hoping you'll get later in the draft, so not necessarily right. the biggest things. But you also meet with a handful of the biggest names in the draft, and it just shows to me that the door's, the door's wide open. I think the Bucks will take the best player at a number of positions. Like, I don't think they're going to take the best quarterback available. I think that's pretty obvious. I don't think they would take the best safety available at pick number five. But um, you take two or three positions that seem likely, like – Defensive line, linebacker, cornerback, offensive tackle. They're going to meet with the top guys in those groups, and I think they're wide open. But, no, the answer to the question is nobody really addressed that directly. And if they did, I wouldn't put too much stock into it. Right. Uh, Kaysen asked, uh, are Barber and Jones our main running back duo, or will we draft one? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see us draft one, but at the moment, yeah, obviously those are the main ones. I'd like to remind everybody that um, Coach Arian said, when asked, and he brought up the name, nobody, nobody threw it at him, when asked, when he went through and evaluated all the Bucks on film from last year, was there anybody that looked better than he even expected? And his answer for that was Peyton Barber. So he, he feels pretty good about Barber. And then I know Jason Light has said he really expects Ronald Jones to, you know, have a big bounce back year and be a lot more productive. Obviously, he would have to be a lot more productive than last year to be useful in the backfield. Uh, it's a good start, but it wouldn't surprise me to see an addition. And Coach Aarons was asked, is there a player on this roster who can handle the third down back roll? And he said, well, we have Andre Ellington. I know that he's capable of doing that. I've seen him do it. Is he still that player? That's what we're going to have to find out. So physically, will he be able to do it still? He didn't really play last year. Um, Is he capable of doing the same things he did in Arizona? Bruce knows he knows the job. Right. And he previously was able to do so. Now we're going to find out if he could. Okay. I've seen several people asking about what the um, main goal of the Blaine Gabbert signing was. Why him? Why sign another quarterback? So overall, now that we know our our three quarterbacks in position, uh, let's just overall look at that position and why you think that was something that the team felt like they needed to address. Yeah, I asked Bruce about the quarterback situation there in Phoenix, and um, it sounds to me like we're going to probably keep three quarterbacks. So you would probably have – 
that doesn't mean Ryan Griffin and Bla uh, Blaine Gabbard are one of them's not going to make it. They'll probably both make it. And you got to look at the history of Bruce is, and his head coach stint in Arizona. For the most part, over those five years, they had three quarterbacks on the 53-man roster. Not always, but most of the time. And they had two or three seasons where they had to go through three starters. So he's seen that, and he says you can't use those injuries at that position as an excuse for your season to go down the drain. You can't use it as, as an excuse for losing. So if something were to, have to happen to Jameis and then something were to happen to the next guy in, you have to be prepared for that eventuality, and you have to like the guys that you're going to put in there. And it's funny because we've totally changed the coaching staff Yet the rhetoric about Ryan Griffin is exactly the same as before. Isn't that funny? Which, which has got to be reassuring that he, he's definitely shown enough, at least even on practice film, something yeah. to make two different coaching administrations right. think he's worth having around. When, when you have him here for four years and you hear over and over again, we really like the guy, he's great on practice, in practice, uh, which all he needs is an opportunity, obviously you believe it, mm -hmm. but you'd still like to know maybe this coaching staff is right. a little more biased towards a certain player. Well, these guys really like him too and are now saying the same thing. We'd really love to see him get more of an opportunity. Mm -hmm. We we watched what he did at practice and we loved it. So <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah. They like him too. And then, of course, Coach Arians has history with Blaine Gabbert. He had him there in 2017 in Arizona. So he says he's seen him win some big games in a couple of his other spots. He won a couple games for Bruce in Arizona. So it's a guy that he feels comfortable with. As Bruce said, and as other people have said, if if you take a bunch of quarterbacks out there on the field and have them do a drill, like if it's your, if like he did really well at leading up to the draft, right? And that's mm -hmm. why he was highly drafted. He totally looks the part. He's he's big. He's got a huge arm, and so there's a lot to like about him. I know his overall career numbers aren't amazing, but that's why coaches and scouts like the guy. I mean, he's got the tools and the frame. And he's had some success in the league. So I think that's valuable to a coach, especially because he knows the guy. Right. So now I just think overall they feel good about the quarterback position. Okay. And we'll close with this one. Uh, Kevin actually asked, uh, how excited is Casey from a female perspective to have two female coaches on staff? Um, which I am really excited, but I think even more than just the fact that we have women on the staff, I'm excited about the way that Bruce has talked about why he's having them on the staff. That to him it's like, well, they're just yeah. – they're who I think is most qualified – that he was talking about at the owners' meetings, how he looks forward to the time when the gender isn't even discussed exactly. when a coach is hired. And I think that's really the attitude that I'm really excited about. And yeah, of course, I mean, I would have loved when I was younger, like I got excited when I saw any female reporters mm -hmm. doing the job in sports. I can't even imagine how cool it would have been if I'd known that even coaching was, was more of an option. And you know, I'm imagining like little girls now who are all into football and playing. I mean, flag football is huge around here. And knowing that mm -hmm. being able to be a coach someday would be an option. I'm really excited that this is going to start becoming more of a thing and to get to work for the team doing it is is really cool were you excited to hear about oh 100 percent. and i like these coaches i mean yeah. the background's the uh the, the you've got one that's worked in coaching all of her life mm -hmm. and then coach he was talking about the assistant the female assistant coach who's going to help or work on the training staff mm -hmm. he says she has a lot of very specific um techniques and so on that right. she's going to bring to the table so these these people are hired on merit now yep. it's wonderful that he's helping bridge that you mm -hmm. know cross that bridge but the main thing to take away from this is they deserve these jobs they're hired on they are very qualified, and I, yeah. if i were you i'd be very excited about yep it i am very excited all right well thank you to all of you as always for joining us on this edition of buccaneers insider live we'll be back next week be thinking of those questions throughout the week and we'll see you then